Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. So glad that you're joining me today for part three on how do we grow spiritually. I guess you could say, how do you grow, period, but we're looking specifically at how we grow to be more like Christ. And we've talked about a lot of things already. We've talked about discipleship, and we talked about fellowship. Today, we're on the third component, and that is worship. New York City has the largest Ukrainian population in the United States. There's a community of about 150,000 Ukrainians who live right in New York City. Thousands come to the United States as Christian refugees and all kinds of different backgrounds, Baptists and Pentecostal, and they come under a special asylum for those fleeing Soviet religious persecution. As President Vladimir Putin put his nuclear forces on high alert, some of them took to the streets to join the protest against Putin's aggression. But mostly, these followers of Jesus Christ gathered in churches. They gathered to pray, to weep, to lament, and to sing to God. They called their praise songs weapons of war. As the nuclear threat escalated and tensions escalated, people in the service were in disbelief about how quickly the situation had spiraled. Our church leader told Christianity Today, Our minds fail to understand. How is this possible in this day and age? God allowed this to happen, and we do not know why. But we know God is sovereign, and He is on His throne. There are people who think if they kill somebody, it will accomplish a goal. A worship leader said, Our hope is in the Lord, the one who holds things together. No matter how things fall apart, the Lord created this world, and He holds things in His hands. He played music and led worship in tears, but He also told this church family, even if a nuclear attack happens, the hope we have is we go home, and we will be together with Jesus, the one we know will help us. What is helping these Ukrainian believers get through this terrible war? Their hope in Christ. They are worshiping together as believers in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 13, we are told to meet continually, to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge His name. Here Paul is encouraging us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Gather together and offer a sacrifice of praise to God. The fruits of our lips acknowledging His name. That's what worship is all about. We are worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's all about worshiping Christ, not about worshiping anybody else. The early church on the first day of the week. They would gather together, they would break bread, and Paul would talk to them, and he would give them a message. You know, when it comes to worship, we become whatever we worship. Ralph Waldo Emerson famously said, what we are worshiping, we are becoming. In other words, our deities shape our identities. Let us all call this Emerson's Law and consider it 
in the lives of two men. The evolutionary scientist Charles Darwin once wrote in his autobiography, My chief enjoyment and sole employment through life has been scientific work. From this work, he added, I am never idle, as it is the only thing which makes life endurable to me. Well, what effect did devoting himself to scientific work have on the person of Darwin and who he became? Well, up to the age of 30, he was really involved in poetry, and that gave him great pleasure. And he took intense delight in Shakespeare. But not for many years. I found it so intolerably dull that it has nauseated me. He says, my mind seems to have become a kind of machine for grinding general laws out in large collection of facts. This loss is a loss of happiness. I became like a withered leaf for every subject, except for science, which he saw as a great evil. Now consider Emerson's law at work in the life of another influential genius a theologian by the name of Jonathan Edwards. At age 19, Edwards wrote, Resolved to cast my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust and to confide in Him, to consecrate myself wholly to Him. Later in his life, Edwards reflected on how his object of worship affected his soul over the years. It brought an inexpressible purity, brightness, peacefulness, a ravishment to the soul. In other words, it made the soul feel like a field or a garden. So here we have two gifted men. One became a withered leaf and the other a garden. The object of their ultimate devotion shaped the very different kind of men that these two became. When we worship God and we worship Him in spirit and truth, we begin to take on his characteristics. Now, we're never going to be God. If you think that you're going to be a God one day, then you ought to join the Mormon faith. They believe that you can become a God. They believe that Jesus became a God, and you can become a God too. That is heretical. But I want you to know that when you are worshiping the Lord your God, you are beginning to take on some of the character traits that he has. You know, I think about atheism. Atheism seems to me to be impossible. Because everybody is worshiping something. Everybody has to live for something. But Jesus argues that if that thing is not him, if you fail to worship him, you become enslaved. Nobody put this better than the American writer and the intellectual David Foster Wallace. Now, Wallace was at the top of his profession. He was an award-winning, best-selling novelist who ends up committing suicide in 2008. But before his death, he gave a famous commencement speech in which he said this to the graduating class. Because here's something else that's true, he said. In the day-to-day trenches of life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. 
Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you're always going to feel guilty. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. I want you to know that you ought to gather weekly to corporately worship with other believers. When we gather to worship, we are saying, God is God and I am not. The focus of our worship is on Christ and Christ alone. Oh, the worship team helps us to sing praises to the Lord, and the pastor's sermon helps us to lead us into the presence of the Lord. As we pray, we commune with the Lord. As we worship Him, He acknowledges and He inhabits our praise. You see, there's something about gathering together with other believers. You're never going to be the Christian that God wants you to be. You're never going to be at your full potential until you are gathering and worshiping with other believers. Christ died for the church. He has the church as the bridegroom of Christ. He loves the church. He gave his life for the church. It is there that you worship him corporately. Oh, yes, we worship him throughout the week. I'm not diminishing that. But so many people in this day and age have got to the point where they say, well, I can worship Jesus out in nature, and I can worship Jesus at home. And they don't get together with other believers, and they wonder why their life feels like it's missing something. Vance Havner said that God has put a God-shaped void in the heart of every person, and we try to fill it up with everything else, but it doesn't quite fit. Oh, I want to encourage you to worship the Lord. Worship every week. Don't miss a week. Be faithful. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I want you to know that as we look at this subject of growing, we are to be a disciple of Christ. We are to make disciples for Christ. We are to fellowship one with another. Fellowship with believers. You know, when you go to church on Sunday morning, there is a component of fellowship, but I think genuine koinonia fellowship really takes place in a smaller group setting. So we are to be disciples of Christ. We are to fellowship with other believers. And then we are to be involved in ministry. We are to be involved in worshiping together with other believers that we spend a lot of time talking about, but we're also to be involved in sharing our faith wherever we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. It says, They were praising God, and they were enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I'm so glad that I'm part of a church that sees people saved and baptized often. As a matter of fact, about half of the people that join Hickory's Community Church are saved and baptized at our church. They are saved and led to the Lord by somebody in our congregation, and they come and are baptized, and then we are discipling them. Evangelism is a key component of a growing believer. We are told in Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, there's different approaches to evangelism. And as you look at different people, different people respond differently to how you present the gospel. So we are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves as we present the gospel. But we've got to present it. 
Tim Keller shares his approach to evangelism and his essay in a book, A Place for Truth. He claims that he often hears people say, I don't know which religion is true, or nobody can know the truth, right? Sounds very much like where our culture is. How do you know that your truth is more relevant than somebody else's truth? And how do we even know what truth is? Well, according to Keller, this often leads to a conversation that goes something like this. I'm talking to somebody who doesn't believe in Christianity, doesn't believe in Christ. At some point, he or she responds and will say, now wait a minute, what are you trying to do to me? I respond, I'm trying to evangelize you. You mean you're trying to convert me? Yeah. You're trying to get me to adopt your view of spiritual reality and convert me. Yeah. Well, how narrow. How awful. Nobody should say that their view of spirituality is better than anybody else's and should try to convert them to it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Everybody should just leave everybody else alone. Well, wait a minute, I say. You want me to adopt your take on spiritual reality. You want me to adopt your view of all the various religions. What are you doing to me? What you're saying is you have a take on spiritual reality and you think I would be better off and the world would be better off if we adopted yours. I have my take on spiritual reality and I think mine is better than yours and I'm trying to convert you to mine. If you say, don't evangelize anybody, that is to evangelize me into your Western, white, individualistic, privatized understanding of religion. Keller concludes by saying, who's more narrow? It's not narrow to making an exclusive truth claim because everybody makes an exclusive truth claim. Everybody has a take on reality. Everybody thinks the world would be better if those people over there adopted mine. Everybody. A narrowness is not the content of a truth claim. Narrowness is our attitude toward the people who don't share our point of view. As we share the gospel, I find the best way to share the gospel is to talk about brokenness. And as a result of brokenness, why are we broken? What has caused us to be broken? Sin has caused us to be broken. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Death is always a time of separation. We're separated from somebody because they have died. Sin separates us from God. The wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have friends that need to hear this blessed message of hope, hope of the gospel. And how are they going to hear unless we preach to them? Has it ever occurred to you that God has strategically placed you right where you are? at that particular job, at this particular season in your life, so that you can share the gospel with your co-workers? Has it ever occurred to you that God has placed you in the specific family that you're in so that you can share the gospel with your brothers, your sisters, your children? You can share the gospel with your family. Has it ever occurred to you that God has strategically placed you in the neighborhood in which you are living so that you can be that light shining in a dark city, so that you can share the gospel with your neighbors? 
God brings people into our lives for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. As you grow in your faith and you are growing healthily, you are also growing in evangelism. But there's one last area that we've covered. We've talked about discipleship. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, then you're going to be a disciple of Christ. You're going to be involved in making others disciples. You're going to be involved in fellowshipping with one another, hanging out with other believers, not with the purpose of gossip and and catching up on the latest news, but we are fellowshipping with other believers, sharing in communion with them, sharing our hurts and our struggles and sharing our joys. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We fellowship together. And then we are involved in evangelism, sharing the gospel with others, worshiping together with one another. And the last area that I see in all growing Christians, they are involved in ministry. They are involved in serving others. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As every man has received a gift, even so minister to the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see, we have a theme that we have adopted at Hickory Ridge Community Church. It's every member is a minister. God expects us to be involved in ministering one to another. God gives us gifts so that we can glorify Him with these gifts and so that we can be a blessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ as we serve together. You know, as I think about our church, we are so blessed to have all different kind of gifts in our church. Some people are really gifted in teaching, and they have this amazing ability to take God's Word and verse by verse expound upon what God's Word says. We have some people in our church that are very gifted in mercy, and uh, those are usually the ones that are working in our children's ministry, right? They love to be compassionate, and they are very patient and long-suffering, and they show mercy. Those are also the ones that are involved in our prison ministry. But then we have some people who are gifted in exhortation. They are like the Apostle Paul. They're the ones that keep us charged up and keep us focused in the right direction. They are filled with enthusiasm, right? We need the exhorters in our lives. You know, there are 12, I believe, major gifts that God gives to the body of Christ. Now, I have a survey that you can take. It's a free survey. And if you want to find out where your spiritual gift is, and if you will Google in churchgrowth.org spiritual gift survey, just Google that in, and it's going to take you to a website, and now you can take a free survey. Let me give that to you again, okay? churchgrowth.org spiritual gifts survey. churchgrowth.org spiritual gifts survey. Now, there's 108 questions on that survey, and you go through and you answer those questions honestly. There's no right or wrong answers. For example, the very first question is, I have a burning compassion to share the gospel with others. And you have three options, always, never, or rarely. So you just bubble in the one, or you click on the one answer that is closest to how you really feel. Now, don't answer it the way that you think they want it to be answered. Answer truly how you live. And as you go through that, it's 108 questions, and it's going to show you where your strengths are. It's on a scale of of 0 up to 24, okay? And so when you take that test, uh, you'll kind of see where your strengths are, and then you can use your gifts in the body of Christ. You know, we are called 
to serve. When Florence Nightingale and her nurses showed up in the British war hospitals, conditions were much worse than they were told. I mean, they witnessed filth and infection and disorganization, and they were overwhelmed by the caseload. There were shiploads of people who desperately needed medical supplies, and men were dying, and they were unable to even fill out the proper forms. In this environment, 42% of the wounded would never recover. It took all of Florence Nightingale's training and dedication, and then some, to turn things around. Nightingale was born in Florence, Italy, hence her first name. In 1820, she was born to an English family, a family of ample means. She traveled and attended parties with the chosen of society on her family estate. When she was 16, she received what she called a divine call. On February 7, 1837, she wrote, God spoke to me and called me into his service. The call was as mysterious as it was audible. I said to myself, what service? Seven years of uncertainty followed. Over family objections, she began to have cottage visiting meetings, taking food, taking medicine to the poor farmers who lived on the family's lands. Then she began to think about nursing. Her family was scandalized. In the early 1800s, nurses were considered unskilled laborers, and they were reportedly drunkards and and very promiscuous. Proper ladies kept a fine house, gave parties, and they made brilliant conversation. They would never become nurses. In 1844, American philanthropist Samuel and Julia Ward Howe, who, by the way, were authors of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, they visited the Nightingale House. Florence asked them, do you think it would be unsuitable and unbecoming for a young Englishwoman to devote herself to the works of charity and hospitals. Dr. Howe replied, it would be unusual. And in England, whatever is unusual is thought to be unsuitable. But I say to you, go forward. After that, she wrote, there never was any vagueness in my plans or my ideas as to what God's work was for me. The work did not begin for another nine years. Family objections had to be overcome. Meanwhile, she studied nursing, first in books, then by visiting European hospitals, and then finally by training at hospitals in Germany and in England and in France. She was serving as a director for a home of invalid gentlewomen during the Crimean War when it broke out in 1854. When she heard about the deplorable conditions on the front, Nightingale took 38 nurses to see what they could do. She ended up organizing the barracks and organizing the supplies and and cutting through all of the administrative red tape, and she began buying supplies by herself. Her efforts began to have incredible results. The death rate dropped from 42% 
to less than 3%. For the past 40 years, we in the Hampton Roads area have been blessed by a service that is named after Florence Nightingale. The Nightingale has provided service to Hampton Roads and to the Eastern Shore and even down into North Carolina. You know, 40 years ago, Nightingale's mission was to reach out and to provide advanced medical care and rapid transportation so that those who are injured can get to appropriate health care facilities. As we look at that, all because of the influence of Florence Nightingale, we are blessed in our community to have this wonderful medical helicopter that if we get in a bad accident on the interstate, can come along and quickly get us the help that we need. Can you imagine the difference that your life would make in the life of somebody else if you devoted your life to a life of ministry, a life of service? Jesus himself said, if you really want to be great in my kingdom, you must be servant of all. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. If I can pray for you, would you shoot me a text message, 252-267-2365? That number one more time is 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.